You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherman. Welcome in another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. We have been uh, away for a little bit. Apologies to that. J.C.'s been under the weather. Uh, Before that, I'm uh, bouncing around doing everything from Mac football to Kentucky basketball games. And now here we are. J.C.'s wearing a hat in the cold of Chicago, and I'm wearing a bathing suit. Uh, here in West Palm Beach, where it's uh, a balmy uh, 78, 79 degrees. So such is life. But uh, you'll you'll get back at me, JC, while you're enjoying uh, some nice home-cooked meals during Thanksgiving. I'll be traveling en route to Houston. Uh, I'm actually excited about doing the game, not excited about holiday travel. Who is? But Navy at Houston. Navy got a, still has a chance at winning the American coach uh Coach Ken does an outstanding job, one of my favorite coaches in all college football. He's been a great story. Uh, Houston's been a, an interesting story for other reasons. Uh, that'll be on ESPN2 on Saturday, working with Andre Ware. And I know you've been busy enjoying a little bit of Disney and running a, a major website uh, and doing all the things that you do so well. So we're we're in different uh, worlds, but then we always come together for this fine podcast. Absolutely. Uh, different ends of the spectrum weather-wise, of course, it's very windy in Chicago today. So, um, And before people say, well, it's the Windy City, duh, that's actually not how the Windy City got its name. Uh, there was some aristocrat from the East Coast that didn't like the way people in Chicago talked back in the early 1900s. And they were like, well, there's people, Carruthers, there's people in Chicago, they're just windy. It's the Windy City because they're full of wind. Um, and then, of course, uh, it is very windy here weather-wise. So uh, it was uh, it has been something else uh, in terms of that, something, you know, somebody from the South has to get used to uh, from time <laughs> to time. But, yeah, that Navy-Houston game should be great. I agree with you on Coach Ken, um, 6 o'clock p.m. ESPN2. Uh, they've really had a good year. They get they got kind of tattooed by Notre Dame a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. but they uh, they played really good football. Always a solid program, um, and certainly that that game with Houston kind of has some implications for the American, which has been a pretty solid conference at the top this year. Well, what the American has done, and I'm I'm not going to subscribe to uh, Mr. Oresco's 
you know, uh, quest to call it the Power Six. But give credit where it's due. That conference, which kind of poached the best from Conference USA and some other leagues, has become the definitive top conference in all of the Group Five. I mean, it's really not even close. With all due respect, the Sun Belt, the Mountain West, Conference USA, uh, they are head and shoulders above there, whether it's the stories of UCF in the past, even USF, Houston, uh, Navy, SMU this year, who Navy just beat uh, in a come-from-behind win last week. Uh, It's a a respectable league. They've got good TV markets, which is strong for them, which is why they've got a great TV deal overall. Um, So they they know what they are, they know who they are, and they know how to maximize their value, which to me is the, the number one thing a conference commissioner can do. It's a lot easier to do that when you're running the SEC or the Big Ten that obviously has a lot more going for it uh, top to bottom. Speaking of those leagues and the other leagues in the Power Five, the new rankings uh, came out. we got Rivalry Week ahead of us. We'll talk about that, the latest on all the coaching news, etc. But uh, the new rankings come out yesterday as we record this the day before Thanksgiving. And by the way, happy Thanksgiving ahead of time for everybody out there tuning in. Hopefully your travels are uh, treating you well and you're not stuck uh, at an airport somewhere, which often happens. But not a huge surprise. I mean, Ohio State jumps up to number one. I don't have a problem with it. doesn't matter to me whether it's one or two. What matters to me is who's number four and then who's number five, of course, is left in the cold. But Ohio State likely is going to keep that number one spot if they keep winning based on schedule. I can't imagine LSU is going to leapfrog them again. Uh, And then the only other thing that surprised me is Baylor moving up five points with a win over an average Texas team, five points, five spots. That was a little bit surprising to me overall. But outside of that, it's it's much to do about nothing. Memphis is currently the highest ranked Group Five team. Uh, that's uh, significant for obvious reasons. If you want to play in a New Year's Day bowl game, and it's going to come down to what we've been t- talking about for a while: Can Alabama get there even without their quarterback Tua? And now going with Mac Jones, they've got Auburn. That's a that's a, a two and a half point game uh, at Jordan Hare Stadium. Can they pull that off and get some style points and convince everybody that Mac Jones is a lethal threat at quarterback? Then there's Utah. The Pac-12 just kind of shot itself in the foot, and the Pac-12 and the Big 12 could once again be on the outside looking in. Uh, Again, I've been high on Utah all year long, not taking anything away from Coach Whittingham and the job that he's done. That team, by the way, they're not like just a bunch of scrappy overachievers. You watch the NFL draft in April, there are a number of pros on that team, particularly on the defense where they're top five in almost every category nationally. And then you've got Oklahoma 7, Minnesota 8, really uh, Baylor 9, we'll throw them out there. And then after that, you're basically talking about real, real long shots to uh, to get in the playoff. Anything that surprised you or, or stood out to you once the rankings came out? Ah, no, you know, uh, Utah is in position. Um, and they've been they've not only been playing good football, Mike, they've been pretty dominant. Now, they have Colorado this weekend at home. Colorado is a team, just like the rest of the Pac-12, they're all capable of pulling upsets on any given Saturday. And that's what's unfortunate about what happened to the Ducks. I mean, you know, that that's the thing about the Pac-12. Like, I would line up the Pac-12 teams, 1 through 12, and I know there's 14 in the ACC. And with the exception of Clemson, I think the Pac-12 would win 90% of those games just against Mm -hmm. the regular old ACC teams. 
you know, maybe you'd go, you know, 11 and one, 10 and two, something like that. Because I think there are a lot of decent to good football teams. The problem is there's no dominant team. And, and in, in the playoff era, that seems to mean a lot. Um, I think, though, you know, there's a plausible scenario for the Utes to get into the playoff. And here's what's going to be interesting, Mike. You know, Utah is not a name brand. You know, they're kind of like the Baylor and the TCU a few years ago, or they're kind of like the, um, you know, the Washington when they got in that one year, though Washington has much more of a history in the Pac-12 than Utah does. Utah was in the Mountain West just 10, 10 years ago. You know, they, Urban Meyer was there and – you know, they were beating Pitt in the Fiesta Bowl and happy, and they beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl one year, and they're happy. The Utes, if it comes down to a 12-1 and Utah team, but let's say that it, in the SEC, let's say Auburn beats Alabama this weekend, they're out, LSU beats Georgia, Georgia's out. It's going to be interesting if it comes down to, say, a 12-1 and Pac-12 champion in Utah and a 12-1 and Big 12 champion in Oklahoma – um, it's going to be interesting to see who gets that final position because, you know, like, like you said, or we were talking uh, before this, you know, it was very interesting. Baylor jumps five spots in the poll after beating an average Texas team. So, so does the name brand carry the Sooners? And would that be fair? That would be my question. It would not be fair. Uh, and only time is going to tell. Now, in, in your scenario, of course, you had Auburn knocking off Alabama. Mm-hmm. I, 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 the committee's worst nightmare, and this is where they actually have to break a sweat and work a little bit, because it doesn't take a brain surgeon to tell you Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson, if they all went out, deserve to be in there. Um, but if Alabama does beat Auburn, let's say they beat them by 10. Mac Jones throws for 275 and a couple of touchdowns. Good, not outstanding. Nobody looks outstanding against that Auburn defense. They are nasty as hell. Um, now you've got Alabama at 11-1 and with the one loss to what many people consider the best team in college football in LSU, and that was a one-score game when it was all said and done. You'd have Utah. Did not play anybody out of conference. Um, and, again, you could say Alabama didn't either. And you'd have, let's just say hypothetically, Oklahoma. Now is where there is no right answer. That is where you say, "Ooh!" And I know lately the the uh, I don't. Sometimes I think people just love being the uh, the contrarian. Like it's become a contrarian point of view to say, "Well, everybody wants more than a fourteen playoff." Oh, it would t- it would destroy the regular season. We already had our de facto playoff games. Uh, you don't need more than four. That would ruin the regular season. The same nonsense I heard. When we were stuck with the BCS, if we ever had a four-team playoff, that would ruin the regular. It hasn't ruined anything. <laughs> it's, it's only made it better. Um, if we had, let's just say, even six, I'm lowballing here, and I never would want to go past eight. So it's not like I'm some radical. Let's let's do sixteen. Let's do thirty-two. But you you eliminate these problems when you have that. Uh, you eliminate the. There's two or three teams fighting for the final spot, which could happen not just this year, but a number of times while we have this four-team playoff. And I'm here to tell you there's not a right answer. There's not a right answer. So, I mean, no matter what the committee comes up with, if that scenario holds true, some people will say, oh, yeah, they got it right. And some people say, I don't think so. And at the end of the day, nobody's right. 
because you're just you're splitting hairs and you don't have you don't have enough in common to measure the three against one another. So that's the nightmare scenario for the committee. If you like controversy, you're probably pulling for that. Uh, if you don't, then you're hoping that it'll sort itself out. Oh, by the way, if Georgia springs an upset in Atlanta against LSU, then really the potential yeah. for all hell to break loose comes down. Because I don't know how you would knock – if LSU lost a close game to Georgia – you can't take them out. Mm. You, you can't all of a sudden put get them out of the top four. But but that's where we're heading. Um, and it, it's been kind of heading this way. We thought maybe Oregon was going to be that team, but now it looks like Utah. And who knows? Utah might stub its toe as well. So we shall see. We shall see how it finishes up. Utah has one of the best defenses in the country, too. They've only given up 91 points in conference all season. So I, I think that's uh, – the next lowest number within the Pac-12 is Oregon at 143. Um, but they do have a loss. And, and i tell you this, USC's kind of turned it around. Uh, there are reports out there that Clay Helton may survive yes. uh, for the Trojans. They're 8-4, and four, big win over UCLA to kind of end things and, and, and finish it off. So that loss. And what does that tell you? What does that tell you that, that they're talking about keeping Clay Helton? What was the first thing that came to your mind? That they had no shot at getting Urban Meyer. That's what came to my mind, too. <laughs> because if they did, I don't want to hear 8-4 and four is good enough. I don't want to hear uh, the program's heading in the right direction. I already know everybody loves Clay Helton, the, the person. If they thought they were going to get Urban Meyer, these reports would not be circulating. And I think... There's going to be a big reality check, and I talk about this all the time. It's like we didn't learn anything from the Tennessee debacle coaching search a couple of years ago. You have way too many fan bases that think they can get whoever they want, and then reality comes, and they don't. So if Southern Cal doesn't get Urban Meyer, what, where does Southern Cal turn at that point? Uh, that's where all of a sudden it's like uh, new AD, president, uh, let's just let's stay with what we got. Florida State – Florida State could be Tennessee 2.0 if if things don't shake out a little bit better, right? Because, I mean, I'm sure they made at least a phone call to Urban Meyer, and I don't blame them, and Urban's not going to Tallahassee. Uh, Bob Stoops was the, the hot name, and you even had somebody – where was that report at? Was that a, was a local TV guy? Television station. Beware of the local TV reporters yeah. when coaching searches happen. Beware. Right. So a local TV guy tries to make a name for himself, completely jumps the gun, steals headlines. Unfortunately, the headlines were wrong. So Bob Stoops is not going to Florida State. Then the attention turns to Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops, who I think in, an, in a different year would be the SEC coach of the year this year. Forget about the fact that he won 10 last year. I mean, they got a chance to win eight games with a wide receiver playing quarterback for half the doggone season where they're running the ball 84% of the time and everybody in the building knows it, and they're still winning. They're still beating teams. Uh, But Mark looks more than content, and I'm not surprised at this. Kentucky has made a major commitment to football. They are not just you're not just going to outbid them because you are a more historically successful program. PJ Flex signs a new deal with Minnesota. So all these names that particular schools and their respective fan bases just figured, well, clearly they're not going to say no to us. We are the cream of the crop. We are Florida State. We are Southern Cal. We are 
No, it doesn't. It, it this day and age, Power Five schools are getting ridiculous amounts of money that they can pay their coaches. You're not just going to outbid them anymore. And if they're cozy where they are, why do they want to inherit the dumpster fire that your last guy left? Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, I, you know, James Franklin is today's name du jour for the Florida State job. Um, and it's interesting because if Franklin were to take FSU, I think he'd do a heck of a job there. He's an excitable guy. He'd probably get that program, uh, well, excited again. Um, and he's done a great job at Penn State. I think Penn State would then directly go to Waco, Texas, and bring Matt Rule back home, um, who obviously played there and has uh, a lot of ties. And I think that's that's one of his dream jobs. Um uh, which everybody wins in that situation. But, you know, James Franklin, you know, and, and I got to know him a little bit at Vanderbilt, and I don't pretend to kind of know what he's thinking now. Uh, I lived in Nashville at the same time. But, you know, the, the talk about him is he's always been a little enamored with the Florida jobs, Florida specifically because he was at Vandy. And then, you know, of course, Florida State, I think, uh, in some ways is an easier job than Florida because you're you're in the ACC, not the SEC, and the ACC is, you know, not strong outside of one team. Of course, you're in the division with that team. But, uh, I, you know, I could see him having interest there. Um, but that's the name uh, du jour for Florida State. And, you know, I heard from somebody over the weekend, Mike Norvell from Memphis is heavily in the mix for that thing. Um, there's a report out there that says Lane Kiffin has been vetted for the job. <laughs> um, so uh, lots of names coming out. I will it be Tennessee 2.0? Maybe I, I, I don't know. It's uh, I think I think Florida State's a much better gig than, than Tennessee was. But yeah, you know, hey, Tennessee's going to a bowl, which none of us thought was going to happen uh, at the beginning of the year. So the, right. congratulations to the Vols. But uh, I, I do think that, um, you know, when, when you look at it, if I'm a Florida State fan right now and I get Mike Norvell, I'm ecstatic because you got a good young offensive mind who's going to put points on the board, uh, who's won at Memphis, which is regardless of the fact we've now had two coaches in a row, Fuente and Norvell, winning at that job, that's not an easy place to win. It's a basketball school. It's a commuter school. Their fans do support football, but you're right there in the middle of the SEC West. It's tough. Uh, recruiting out there is always an adventure. So, I, uh, you know, if I get Mike Norvell and I'm Florida State, I'm like, let's roll, you know. At the same time, you know, if you can get one of these named guys, that's fine. Mark Stoops, what's interesting about him is that things have kind of gotten a little quiet with him. And I was talking to someone, um, the connected, kind of connected to the coaching community last week. And he said that the more quiet it gets about Mark Stoops and FSU, you know, the more likely he thinks it will be that he's the guy. You know, mm-hmm. so he said Mark Stoops just isn't the type of guy that's going to play the, this mess right now um, with another game to coach. Very important game against Louisville, their in-state rival, who's had a resurgent year under Scott Satterfield. So, I, you know, like I said, it's coaching rumors, coaching coach speak. You, you hear a thousand different things from a thousand different people. But I would not completely rule him out yet. Uh, for that gig. And quite frankly, I think he'd make all the sense in the world. But, you know, James Franklin is the new name today. And um, that would be uh, 
an interesting move in terms of, of, of a guy going from a blue blood power five program to another blue blood power five program. Well, I've been a Mike Norvell guy for years. I've, I haven't understood why he hasn't um, drawn more offers for good jobs. And sometimes when you see that, you, you make the assumption, is he a bad interview? I mean, I don't know. I've, I've done a couple of Memphis games since Mike Norvell's been there, and I can tell you he's great to work with. He's great to talk to. Like Some coaches have no personality, and they're just difficult, and they're ornery, and I think that hurts them uh, in the coaching search. I, I don't get that sense at all with Mike Norvell. So I've never understood it. At worst-case scenario, if you're Mike Norvell's agent, you got to be thinking Arkansas will do everything in their power to get you. Because I don't know who Arkansas is going. I mean, I'm sitting there the other night watching Arkansas play with an Arkansas alum, and I'm just asking, I'm picking his brain. Of course, we're shaking our head because they're just hard to watch. I mean, they're playing a freshman quarterback who didn't know where the first down marker was on like five consecutive plays. He would tiptoe out of bounds with nobody in sight, and he'd do so a foot shy of the first down marker. And again, and he's just a true freshman, and he's still learning. I mean, that job has become so difficult now, and whoever takes it over, it ain't going to be easy. I'm not saying it's Rutgers hard. By the way, Graciano turning down Rutgers for four million a year. Yeah, I, I have an opinion on that. Okay, Go let's ahead. let's we'll get to that in just a second. But but the Arkansas job, I don't know. I mean, the one thing I keep saying because even he was asking me as a former a player and a different sport, mind you, but still, he's like, well, you know, how are we going to get somebody, Mike? Who's going to want the job? I said, look, one thing Arkansas can offer a whole lot of money and great facilities. As you and I have talked about in the past, that is a great fan base. So if Norvell doesn't land a quote-unquote bigger job or one that's more equipped to win right away, because I think most of us believe whoever does take that Florida State job, they're going to be a bowl game right away, and within three years they're going to be competing for stuff. Willie Taggart was just that much of a dumpster fire. But the fact of the matter is Florida State's not staying down long. They are, again, what I call a volcano program. It's just, it's just a matter of time before they erupt again. You have to almost try to not be good as the head coach at Florida state. But if, 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 uh, if Norvell doesn't wind up getting that job, I can't imagine Arkansas is not going to take the Briggs truck and say, let's do everything we can to get this guy and make that happen. Uh, again, the Franklin thing, if you were to poll most Penn state fans, I really believe they'd rather have Matt rule. Now, that's not necessarily a guarantee, but I've been told for a while now that Matt Rule's not hes not going for any other Southern jobs. If he goes anywhere, it's a Northeast thing, and Penn State, obviously, with the ties there, would make all the sense in the world. And then the Mark Stoops thing, I, I think your, your buddy there is on to something. I would get nervous, too, if I was a Kentucky fan and things got a little too quiet. Um, and just because he's very happy at Kentucky and I know for a fact that he is, doesn't mean he wouldn't be a little bit happier at Florida state or obviously the path of least resistance Morganism number two here. Um, it definitely favors somebody who takes the Florida state job. There's a lot of moving parts in all this, but I do think it's funny. We've got from urban Meyer, Bob Stoops, Mike Leach, 
to now we're like Mark Stoops three years ago was on the hot seat at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And now Florida State's wondering if they can get pull him away from the Wildcats. Uh, Mike Norvell couldn't get anybody to give him a great job offer, and now he's one of the hottest commodities. It just goes to show you it is a volatile stock market when it comes to coaching vacancies, and, and this year will be no different. Absolutely. And then the, the reports, um, uh, gosh, I think it was Dan Walken. Uh, maybe maybe that's Dan Walken. USA Today, Dan Walken. He throws out there Justin Fuente. For Arkansas. Uh, well, and look, Fuente's turned it around this year in he, Blacksburg. He's back. He's eight and three. The, the whole gist of it was he may not feel appreciated in Blacksburg because they had some work to do when they got there. He did have some off the field issues uh, over the summer with some, some players that said they tried to quit during the Virginia game so they wouldn't go to a bowl. That kind of stuff really is a bad look. Bud Foster is retiring after this year. Um, But Virginia Tech beats Virginia this weekend for the 16th straight time, and they're going to the ACC championship game uh, to play Clemson and Charlotte. So, I mean, I don't – you know, that would be another power five to power five move that would be very interesting. And and I talked to a friend of mine that's kind of got some connections at both schools and – you know, that does have legs. I don't know if anything will come of it. If I were Justin Fuente, I think you're insane if you leave Virginia Tech for Arkansas right now. Uh, I think Justin Fuente is a guy that's at, a, at, the, at the right type of place. Um, he's a guy that's going to go recruit under the radar, develop guys. He's going to out-scheme you. And I understand Arkansas wants that, but still in the SEC, you got to have some semblance of – you know, going and getting Jimmy's and Joe's, uh, and Arkansas is no different. Or you got to just run it wide open like Petrino did, and then it doesn't matter. But uh, you know, and if you're Bobby Petrino back then, you could just dial up plays and you'd be fine. But um, I just, uh, I think that'd be a very interesting hire if it were made. And then you have to, you know, I, I think Virginia Tech would probably go hire Oklahoma assistant head coach Shane Beamer to come back and coach his alma mater. Um, in that instance, but uh, I, I think that would be very interesting if Fuente left uh, for Arkansas. I, I, that would be a bizarre move. That would be kind of like Brett Bielema when he left Wisconsin for Arkansas. I just, I just don't know that. Um, I don't know that that would uh, that would work out well for either one. But you know, Fuente is an Oklahoma native. You know, he is a guy that's from there, and uh, you know all that. So we'll we'll kind of see how that transpires. Don't don't you feel like the the market overall is not what it was a couple of years ago? Now, of course, a couple of years ago everybody thought Tom Herman was the can't miss guy and here we have Texas, you know, fighting to get to seven wins and well everybody proclaimed them to be back, well everybody in Austin did anyway, including their starting quarterback, proclaimed them to be back at the end of last year. This was not the kind of transcendent breakthrough year that they had hoped for and that was the closest thing we had to a slam dunk hire right i mean everybody wanted tom herman everybody and he turned down a number of a number of schools and landed on texas the job he wanted all along and hadn't really turned out that way um but i mean when you think about the market for coaches that are actually going to take jobs not not just the rumor mill stuff it doesn't seem like it's that great does it uh, you know, I think a lot would depend on, you know, 
guys like Matt Campbell at Iowa State and P.J. Fleck at Minnesota. I mean, you know, we, we had – I think that if guys like that are willing to move, mm-hmm. right, Yeah, which those are power five jobs, but they're not great power five jobs, um, you know, then I think there is more options. I, I You know, 20, I'm looking back at the 2016 when Fuente got hired – uh, when Herman turned down a couple of schools and ultimately went to Texas the next year, you know, Athlon ranked the hires and Fuente was number one. Mark Rick was number three. <laughs> Willie Fritz at Tulane was um, was there too. I mean, you know, that, that's the thing. And, it, it, you know, like Scott Satterfield at Louisville, hell of a job. Seven and Absolutely. four this year, took over a dumpster fire. Cardinals are competitive again. They're on their way back. Obviously, he set the table for great things at Appalachian State. You know, if, if, if a South Carolina or an NC State came calling for him, would he jump back to go back home and live in the place he's always lived? Well, you know, there's some people that believe he would be interested. Um, you know, Matt Campbell, you know, there was a report on uh, uh, our Razorback site um, on 24-7 Sports, and, and I know that some of these people do know Matt from his days at Toledo and all that good stuff that said he'd be interested in Arkansas or any um, SEC job. Um, you, you know, and that, that was a surprise to me because if I were him, I'd probably not take – I mean, you're going to take Iowa State and Arkansas back-to-back? Yeah. I, I just, you know, in this situation. Blood for punishment. You know, P.J. Fleck, they're talking about him at Florida State. He's the type of guy that – you know, is kind of an upward mobility climber type, you know. And I, now with what he's got at Minnesota now, is it sustainable? I don't know. Um, but I do think that if they keep winning um, and, and he's enough of a kind of a PR guy to where if a Southern Cal opened or, or if a bigger job opened, let's say, you know, it's Texas, let's say Texas opened or something like that, you know, I think he would he would, he would would be in line for that. But, but you know, is he going to take Arkansas? It, would he take, like, Auburn if they opened? You know, is he going to be the guy at Florida State eventually? You know, th- those are all your questions. Because um, I think I think Matt Campbell and P.J. Fleck, for different reasons, are excellent coaches. And, and we had a time where we just didn't have a lot of openings, Mike. And, mm-hmm. and then you had situations like, well, LSU's open and they promote Orgeron. Or, you know, Miami opens and there was a no-brainer getting Mark Richt, and then they had to kind of scramble and go get Manny Diaz. And they can't really pay that much anyway. You know, Texas opened. It was a no-brainer for Tom Herman. Oklahoma promotes Lincoln Riley. Georgia hires Kirby Smart, you know, which was a no-brainer. So you had a lot of big jobs open but that had these guys that, you know, UCLA, Chip, you know, they're not going to not hire Chip Kelly. The Florida search, by the time it got to Dan Mullen, that was a layup, you know, after Chip and Scott Scott Frost going back to Nebraska. So, you, you, so you ha- you're in a situation there for a couple of years where Matt Campbell and P.J. Fleck left the MAC for Iowa State and Minnesota, <laughs> you know. And, well. and so, so that's my that, that's my thing about this group is: are those guys willing to take a smaller jump? Or are they going to stay at Iowa State, Minnesota, which you know may or may not be a gamble, um, and, and wait for like a, a Texas to open one day, uh, or, or USC or something like that? Well, I've always thought Matt Campbell's next move could very well be the NFL. Um, there are a lot of people in NFL circles that are high on him. Now, Lincoln Riley's kind of stolen those headlines here recently, but going back to a couple of years ago, Matt Campbell, a lot of people just think he has NFL written all over him. And, and that if he's going to just 
leave Ames for the sake of leaving Ames, uh, then rather than just go to another college gig, it could be NFL. I have a feeling Matt Campbell is not leaving for another college job this year. Just a, just a hunch. And I have a feeling PJ Fleck's going to stay put. The time to get, have gotten PJ Fleck was a couple of years ago where some of us were screaming from the, the mountaintops. This is, this is a guy. He's a difference maker. I, I liken him that again, is that the Bruce Pearl uh, of, of hires in terms of you need not only a guy who can win right away, but can kind of give your, your program a much needed jump start of PR and enthusiasm. It's just kind of like having a six pack of five hour energies. Uh, that's what Fleck is. You know, some people think it's hokey. Some people get tired of hearing the row the boat thing and, but whatever it works and you had your chance to get him. And now I, I mean, I don't know if he wants to go. Minnesota's going to pay him a bunch of dough. He doesn't have to deal with, the constant hot seat talk that you're going to have to deal with if you take a job like a Florida State, like a Southern Cal, et cetera, for that matter, like an Arkansas, any SEC job, you're going to be on the hot seat when you're not doing what the fans think you should do. So you're right. If those two somehow are in the marketplace, then it's a pretty good market. If they're not, then you got to be ultra creative. You mentioned Florida. I mean, look, Dan Mullen was not their, their first or second choice. They wanted Chip Kelly and they wanted Scott Frost. And they got the Heisman on both of them and then landed on the guy who's going to win 10 wins again this year. Like they, It just worked out that way. But that's not that's not who the fans wanted, and that's not who the administration wanted. Yeah, I mean, no, no there's no question about it. People don't understand that, fan, that, that it's not like recruiting where you're going to – it is a, like a plan B and plan C situation – but a lot of the plan A's don't work, and a lot of the plan C's do end up working. I mean, Pete Carroll was, what, the sixth choice for the Southern Cal job when he took it? Nobody knew that was going to happen. You know, it, it's a crapshoot, and so much depends on where you're at, where that program is at, and the commitment of the administration to winning. And now you got things, too, Mike, like the transfer portal, um, you know, you've got early signing and recruiting where you can get serious, but seriously behind recruiting wise during a transition because when 90% of the available talent signs and you've only been at your school for a week, that's mission impossible on the recruiting trail. So you could torpedo one, an entire class. I mean, you know, there, there are some things to be said about keeping coaches and, and, and things like that. I'll also say this. Uh, I think Greg Schiano turning down $25 million to go back to Rutgers is the most ridiculous thing. I mean, I hope he's invested well and he's a rich man and maybe he just has enough money. But the list of demands for him to go back to Rutgers and then the fact that, you know, it's a no-go without those list of demands uh, is insanity. You know, I, I I love college football coaches. I know a bunch of them. There's a lot of smart guys, and, you know, 99% of them are wonderful people, probably including Greg Schiano. But where have we gotten to in the point in that industry where you're arrogant enough, you know, to where you're not going to take $25 million guaranteed? I mean, I, I'm sorry. I mean, that, that's just – it's not like Greg Schiano is a high coaching commodity uh, and is going to end up um, – you know, getting a better gig, in my opinion. Now, now maybe he had personal reasons for doing it, but obviously that ridiculous list of demands, he was going to go back to Rutgers. And I, I just, uh, 
I think that things like that just lend credibility to to some very you know not so credible complaints uh, about income inequality and things like that around college football. So that's that 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 that's just that was the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever seen. Uh, I know Rutgers is not a good job. I have no faith they're going to make a good hire this time. But you know you've been there before. Uh, if you're Shiano and and you want all this stuff, twenty, I mean, and you're just going to turn your nose up at twenty five million guaranteed. Mm-hmm. If I'm your great great grandson and I'm struggling financially, <laughs> I'm getting a time machine and coming back in time and uh, you know begging you to take that. I mean, I guess, yeah. and, and Shiano's probably wealthy enough, you know. But uh, man, when we're at the point where you know, you're going to turn down, when you're not in, you know, nobody wants you to come coach. And you're turning down $25 million guaranteed because they won't give you unlimited use of a private jet? You know, what kind of message does that send? Uh, it sends one that he's not that interested in coaching because, I, like you said, I don't think there's a demand out there for great who, who at last check is doing nothing right he's he, he's no longer at ohio state then he took a job in the pros and i don't think he's doing anything now as we speak um so <laughs> good luck i i hope uh, hope something else comes down the pike but it's not going to be with that kind of price tag attached 25 no, no chance Jeez. yeah i mean and, and, and look, I mean, Rutgers is a laughing stock now, and they certainly don't seem to be a great fit in the Big Ten. But you can go out there, you can do some fundraising, which a lot of coaches kind of are forced to do anyway, and get some of the things you're asking for, get a ridiculous salary, uh, get recruits to come there like you did the first time out. Now you can even sell the Big Ten. Are you going to win Big Ten titles? No. So what? They don't expect you to at Rutgers. It, there's not that much pressure from that fan base to do so yeah that that's a shocker that uh that is absolutely a shocker um by the way real quick before we get into the games this week this is a little uh interesting tidbit ohio football won 52 to 3 tuesday night in another mac classic now why is that significant well a i'm a closet ohio bobcat fan and i should uh reveal that now and, and b more importantly that made Ohio the 73rd bowl-eligible team so far. Now, we have 78 bowl slots, JC. Mm-hmm. So we need five more. We need five more. 13 can still get bowl-eligible this weekend. Otherwise, we have to go back and dip into the pool of five and seven teams to go to bowl games, which I think we can all agree is not a good look. So here's hoping that Ohio becomes the inspiration, the mighty Bobcats, for five more schools this weekend to become bowl eligible. Of course, one of those would be Missouri, and they're not actually eligible because the NCAA decided, we're going to drop the hammer on on five and six Mizzou. That's right. We don't play games here at the NCAA. Uh, so take that for what it's worth. Wow. So, 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 Yes. Yeah, and they do it by the APR, which I think's a random, ridiculous kind of thing, in my opinion. I just, <laughs> it is. It's just kind of, um, you know, one of those things. I, I, I don't. Uh, I, I think they re- what they really did. They need to revamp the poll system, and this is a topic for July, probably. <laughs> well, let's just say I, I, I'm in favor of just calling it what it is—a a cash grab—and you know programming for the, the holidays, you know, 
Um, and, and, and I think if you want to make it programming, let, let's, let's make it programming. Let, let's just make every Power 5 team eligible for a bowl and then fill in the rest of the slots. You know, because uh, in my opinion, I think that you have a bunch of mid-major matchups that, no, that that really nobody cares about. But heck, man, you go two and ten at Tennessee, you still go to a bowl. There's going to be ten thousand volunteer fans that drive to Mobile or wherever you're playing um, to watch you play, and everybody's going to tune in. So um, I, I think there's I think there's a, really needs to be an examination uh, of the bowl system in general. Um, you know, and all that. So uh, that's just my take there. But I'm going to sketch all that out and um, and, uh, and 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 you know, uh, review uh, reveal my bowl system ideas this summer. Yeah, I've always said now we we basically it's no longer a reward for anything. It's it's the 13th regular season game for these teams. It's 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 just another game. It's not based on you did anything great. And, and of course, we see the attendance is woeful at most of these games. Uh, but as you mentioned, it's programming during the holidays. Every TV, every sports bar, every restaurant will have whatever lame bowl game is on over anything else that's on TV at that time. And people do watch and people do gamble. And so from that standpoint, I've never been like, we got to get rid of them. Um there's a prominent national talk show host, so I won't mention, who spends countless hours of his time telling everybody uh, that it's it's a travesty that we have all these bowl games. I don't think it's a travesty. I just think it's it's a sign of it's just programming. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's that's all it is. It's the NIT, if you will, for college football teams. And we talk about the extra practice and everything else. I think the only reason why. You might not go to like two and ten teams because, quite frankly, there are teams that literally at that point quit mm-hmm. and they are they are not going to spend three weeks off and then all of a sudden give you maximum effort in a tier three, tier four bowl game. When that when those teams are so beaten down, they I mean, for example, Arkansas, you can't put Arkansas in a bowl game now because those kids are just ready for the season to end. And quite frankly, I don't blame them. Um but if you're five and seven, you've had a couple of tough breaks. Maybe you can justify like, all right, they're going to go there. They're going to have a good time. They're going to get their swag bag and they're actually going to play hard, which is all we ask for. We've already got prominent players sitting out bowl games, which I'm sure will happen again this year. Let's hope we don't get to the point where teams just flat out go to a bowl game and lay, lay down like dogs, which quite frankly has happened, but uh, hopefully it won't increase. Uh, do want to mention again, what, what a great time to mention. Actually, it's the holidays, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to do something good for yourself or for a loved one? Contact Brent Skinner, BP Skinner Clothiers, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Custom-made suits, shirts, clothing, accessories, you name it, he's got it. Top quality, great prices, and again, he comes to you. And you mentioned this podcast. Again, the college football special going on. So many of you have taken advantage of it. Go ahead. If you haven't already, do it now. With the purchase of a suit or a new sports coat, a free custom-made shirt. That's a couple hundred dollar value right there. Great material great selection and again you don't have to waste your time walking around in department stores talking to pushy salespeople, getting pressure to buy something you don't want to buy sit down with brett and he will take good care of you as he has for so many other people that's brent skinner 
of BP Skinner Clothiers, bpskinnerclothiers.com, to set up a free appointment today. All right, JC, at the very top, we mentioned some of the games. I think the most intriguing one, without question, uh, for so many of the people in our audience, it would be Auburn, Alabama, national championship ramifications, playoff ramifications, great defense, Alabama. It's the Iron Bowl. What else needs to be said? Your thoughts on the contest? Ooh, I, you know, I was on the radio in Tuscaloosa this morning, and everybody's fired up about that over there. Um, they're fired up about the Iron Bowl. I, I think a lot of Alabama people think that they're probably very slim chance they'd make the playoff this year, even with a win. Um, I think without Tua at quarterback, it's not that Alabama's a bad offense. It's that you know, as dynamic as he is, you know, and as well as he was running that system for them, I just don't know that, you know, Auburn, as good as they are on defense and being at home at Jordan-Hare, I, I just, I think, I, I think they may have a hard time moving the football. Maybe I'm wrong, and Bama rallies the troops. It, it's kind of so bizarre, Mike, because we haven't seen Nick Saban in this situation very often. He's got his backup quarterback. They've already lost a game. They're going on the road to face a hostile defense. They're not that good themselves on defense. Um, now, if Auburn's offense stumbles and fumbles around like they're known to do at times, then, you know, Alabama could win. But um, I, I would pick Auburn to win the football game as things stand today. I'll go with Alabama. Um, close. Close. I Just because I don't know if Auburn can score. I, I still that Auburn offense at times is a little bit difficult to watch. Um, I think what's interesting about this game, too, is we're going to be right back in the same old storyline with Gus Malzahn if they lose at home to Georgia and then Alabama. And if in both games, the offense sputters. I know it's a true freshman at quarterback, but it, it, whenever the whenever Auburn loses, very often they lose on offense and it's just it's a bad look and it always goes back to Gus and then it's always okay what's the buyout and what's this and what's that it's groundhog groundhog day over there in the plains but I, I think it's gonna it's a very intriguing game um, looking forward to that one that's the CBS 330 game uh, that uh, will take place again in front of a sellout rowdy crowd how about texas a&m texas a&m at lsu i've heard texas a&m people trying to find scenarios or just even football fans in general where they could where this could be a ball game i mean i i just don't see it i i don't see lsu not scoring a bunch of points i don't see kellen mond having this ridiculous breakthrough game even though lsu's defense has shown vulnerability this year i uh, to me, LSU wins this one without much of a sweat. But as always, A and M's got athletes, and so people look at that and they say, "Well, maybe the Aggies could pull it off." Well, they pulled off a what was that eight overtimes last year? They finally beat LSU in College Station. This is in yeah, bad news. I'm gonna say this: LSU can't overlook Texas A and M because Texas A and M's a good football team. You know, a kind of a crushing loss at Georgia last week with some you know tough calls that didn't go their way. Um, are they going to be – I mean, I, I, I think that was kind of the window where they could have gone in there and pulled off an upset. Um, I don't know that LSU is going to be much of a chance. I, I just think that um, – you know, I think that that's, that's kind of a long shot in my opinion. They lose that game, by the way. They're 7-5. and five. Yeah. 
Now, the, granted, the, the list of losses, it's as impressive as anybody. It would be at Clemson. It would be Alabama at home, Auburn at home, at Georgia, and at LSU. Yeah, so I, mean, you, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a, hell, that's a murderer's row of losses, but they're still all losses. And I think a lot of people thought Jimbo right away uh, would turn that thing around into more than seven and five in year two. And. That's what they're staring at the face. Yeah, and they were nine and four last year. I, I, I looking at their schedule this year, I thought, I thought, you know, I thought they could probably they may beat Auburn, you know, just because Auburn. A lot of people were talking about, you know, them not being as good this year, but Auburn went out there and that 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 series. A lot of times, the visiting team has more success and wins, but. I, you know, I, I sort of expected this. I didn't buy them as a top 15 team simply because of the schedule. I mean, you know, when you go play three of the top 10 teams in the country and you know those teams are going to be there the whole time and then the emergence of LSU, that's tough. I mean, it'd be nice to get one of these. But Aggie fans, I think next year, my, uh, you know, there's no Joe Burrow at LSU anymore. You know, there's mm-hmm. no Tua. Probably no Tua. Tua. Probably no Tua at Alabama anymore. Um, those teams are going to kind of go through a transition with their quarterback situation. A&M has a lot of good young players and a lot of players coming back. I think next year could be their breakout season just because, you know, things get a little different as far as the personnel and who you're matching up with. If Aggie fans want to know um, what year is their year to potentially break through and get to Atlanta – it's 2020. I don't think it was ever this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people were having a pipe dream. And then, you know, check this out, man. I mean, you know, you, you look at it. So next year, instead of playing Clemson, they play the Colorado Buffaloes in College Station. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next year, you know, they go to Auburn. They go to South Carolina, uh, which is their permanent opponent. But they got LSU in College Station. They do go to Alabama. Uh, but then you got Mississippi State, Arkansas, and Ole Miss. Um, their home schedule is very favorable. Uh, they lose they get, Georgia, right? Yeah, they lose Georgia. They've got Vanderbilt uh, <laughs> as their uh, SEC East opponent instead of the Dogs. Um, yeah. You know, in the in the rotating schedule. So next year for the Aggies is set up a lot better than mm-hmm. this year was from a schedule standpoint. Yeah. Plus, Kellen Mond's probably coming back for his senior year, and he'll be one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. So um, yeah. I, I think that's uh, – Aggie fans should remain patient, even though 7-5 and five is obviously not what you forked out the the $75 million for. Very true. Yeah, 2020 is, is definitely a much greater uh, opportunity, no question. Um, staying in the SEC, Florida State, Florida, barring some uh, – I don't want to say miracle. They have played well for their interim coach, Florida State has, but Florida should win the game, and if so, it's another 10-win season for Dan Mullen, which I think overall, considering what he's had to endure there with a backup quarterback and Kyle Trask, who I still think is better than Felipe Franks, um, some of the other issues that they've had, pretty good start to that era in Gainesville. Yeah, and you know, don't, don't be surprised if Florida State plays this a little closer than – People may think I. I think this team actually is playing a lot harder for Odell Haggins uh, than they did for um, for Willie Taggart. Quite frankly, I mean, you know, the, the two get Odell's two and zero 
Uh, he beat Boston College on the road where they had to be somewhat resilient. And then they played, you know, Alabama State. Alabama State's pretty good, uh, you know, FCS-level football team and beat them pretty handedly. They've had two weeks to prepare. Kendall Bryles is still dialing up ball plays for the Seminoles. Uh, he's very dangerous uh, as a play caller. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see it closer than it is. But I'm, I'm with you. I think Florida probably wins the game. Can Kentucky continue to pull a rabbit out of the hat with Lynn Bowden at quarterback against Louisville? That's going to be tough because, I, you know, I think this is a big game for Scott Satterfield and Louisville, you know, as far as, you know, hey, they could get to eight wins in his first year and he took over a dumpster fire. They're very dynamic offensively, not so great on defense, you know, but if you're Kentucky, you know, how Kentucky wins games is death by a thousand paper cuts. They're going to get there. They're going to line up. They're going to run Bowden uh, on the ground in the option. And it's worked for them, and they're going to play defense. So if Kentucky can ma- maintain discipline on defense, uh, Louisville's got a lot of window dressing, things like that. You know, I, I think they can win the football game and get to seven wins and then maybe eight. Um, but uh, that's that's a big game for Louisville, and I, I think uh, – I think you can see the Cardinals. That series kind of goes back and forth. I think you can see the Cardinals get one in year one of the Satterfield era. Georgia, Georgia Tech. Ordinarily, I wouldn't spend more than two seconds on this matchup because Georgia is so superior to Georgia Tech. But I will say this. Georgia Tech playing a little bit better. And anytime you have an an offense in Georgia's that is not explosive almost by choice – you give a Georgia Tech at least a hope and a prayer. That's all I'll say. I'm, obviously, I'm picking Georgia. I'm picking them convincingly. It's not much of a rivalry. Georgia is is on one plane, and Georgia Tech is on another. But just be a little careful is all I would say. I would, too. And the Jeff Collins, give him a lot of credit. I mean, those guys hadn't quit. They beat NC State. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny that – Probably the two worst coaching jobs in the ACC this year have been by Dave Dorn at NC State and you know Manny Diaz at the U, um, and and I think both of them have been terrible, quite frankly, this season. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and Georgia Tech beat both of them. So Tech, I kind of watched some of their game against NC State the other day. Their kids are playing hard, but you know, and, and you're right about Georgia to a certain extent. I, I think Georgia's going to line up and run the ball, and you know score about 30 or so and you know tech's going to really struggle to run it i mean the, the personnel is just not there yet to to hang with georgia but i do think it's a successful year one you know for jeff collins even with the loss to the citadel because i i didn't know that this this team would win a football game yeah. so congratulations they're sitting there at three with you know two conference wins i think that's pretty impressive Ole Miss, Mississippi State, we talked about that game earlier, the importance for both those coaches. Who do you like? I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with Ole Miss. I, I, I think Ole Miss is kind of known they're not going to a bowl for a while and all that. Mississippi State's usually in, in these type of rivalry games where, where both teams are losing, it's the team that's least disappointed. Okay, so Ole Miss didn't have great expectations this year. You know, they were kind of expected to be five and seven or something like that. Mississippi State, you know, they were kind of expected to be the fourth, you know, battle for third or fourth in the in the West. Um, and so, you know, Ole Miss on the road, uh, kind of some bad blood last year in this football game. It's the Egg Bowl. They hate each other. It's underrated. Tune in six thirty or seven thirty Eastern. 
um, on thir- on tomorrow night, Thanksgiving night, because uh, it'll be a war. But I, I, something tells me Ole Miss gets it done um, this weekend. Uh, you know, with with Rich Rod's offense and you know the, their ability to put up points. I'm going to go Ole Miss as well. And you mentioned the key name. I think Rich Rod has very quietly uh, done some magical work there with backup quarterbacks and undersized running backs and. Uh, they had to replace all those NFL receivers, and yet they're, they're still moving the ball and scoring points. So I'll, I'll go with Ole Miss, which would be considered a, a slight upset uh, on the road. Vanderbilt at Tennessee. We know one thing. If Vanderbilt wins, Derek Mason's going to dance for a while. Oh, my God. That, that's what he does. Uh, but they're, this year might be a little more difficult. Tennessee is not going to overlook Vanderbilt by any stretch of the imagination, and all of a sudden the Volunteers have some confidence. And I think one of the better stories this year in the SEC, if not college football, Jared Garantano, okay, they get off to the lousy start, right? They lose to Georgia State, they lose to BYU. Then in the game where I thought, okay, they showed me something, they showed me something in that loss to Alabama. They competed with Alabama. But yet Garantano makes the big bonehead play on the fourth and one, doesn't follow the coach's instructions, costs them a touchdown, uh, gets chewed out on the sideline. And, and every you know, it's one of those moments where a lot of today's kids uh, that are, are a little bit more of the uh, snowflake variety would be just, I, I'm quitting, uh, I'm going to transfer, I'm getting out of here. Uh, somebody was mean to me on Twitter. And unfortunately, there's always going to be just the ultimate ignorant people that actually give death threats to a college kid, and those people really need to be under psychiatric evaluation. But but outside of that, Garantano stays with it. Um, if you caught the interview with him after the win last week against Missouri, it's one of the most impressive interviews I've seen a kid under that much duress give. So I I, I think he's been a great story. Tennessee has been a good story. And I'd be shocked if they lose at home to Vanderbilt. I would be stunned because you know what? Vanderbilt is terrible. Vanderbilt gave up 401 rushing yards to that Kentucky offense you mentioned. Um, they did beat East Tennessee State last week. Can't believe the Vanderbilt administration is going to bring him back, which I, Derek Mason back. They're talking about him being on a hot seat. So they're going to bring him back for a year seven. Uh, I don't understand why, but uh, I do think Tennessee is a great story and is uh, certainly one that um, you know we we, we can uh, we can appreciate and, and kudos to Jarrett Garantano. You know he's a guy for a couple of years he's taken a beating both physically and from fans, uh, and I like to see a guy like that be successful and do well. Uh, moving across the board, let's go outside the SEC. Of course. One of the biggest games every year, and this year be no exception exception to the rule. Ohio State, Michigan. Can the fighting Harbaugh's finally get over the hump? It wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if they did. The game's in Ann Arbor. They've been playing good football. I think they match up better against Ohio State than probably Penn State and you know wisconsin and some of those other teams ohio state's very good though it, just keep in mind it is on the road it's not in columbus they're two big games i guess wisconsin and penn state were in columbus it's a different type of animal you just kind of get the feeling it's going to be a little closer than possible then then what do you do with ohio state a 12 and one big 10 champion that's lost to michigan if you're the committee and you're comparing resumes and stuff i don't know i don't know um but something tells me michigan's going to play it 
Uh, if not win the game, play it really close. And finally, the one that everybody will be talking about on Saturday and then shortly once the game is over, Rice at UTEP. I am going with the Miners. <laughs> going oh man i'm telling you that game's gonna be televised somewhere and i got much love for the announcers that are going to be broadcasting it um i've done a game at utep i had oklahoma at utep years ago it's yeah. like 10 10 o'clock eastern time kick and we were the only game on so everybody was watching uh landry jones was the quarterback for oklahoma yeah mike price was the coach of utep Dang, probably a, a good crowd at the Sun Bowl. It was, imagine. and it is a cool mm. venue. It's I, a, I, it, like El, it. I mean, the thing about El Paso is, I mean, you are a stone throw away from Juarez, which is um, not exactly a, a good place to take the family. But, um, but yeah, uh, I just saw that on the board, and I figured I'd throw you a curveball. And you just didn't even hesitate. Right away, you broke the game down, gave a strong prediction, and uh, <laughs> are, are ready to go. Uh, the only other game I did mention was Missouri at Arkansas. Do you want to you want to take a shot at that one? Can Arkansas finally win one at home? And I, I'm not, not going to be surprised. You know, Missouri had that bad news this week. I think you're you're dealing with a kind of a deflated team. It's it's at Arkansas. I, I think this is sort of one of those forced rivalries by the SEC. That, you know, they're they're bordering states and their campuses are not far from each other, but they never play. Right. You know, they'd never played historically, and now they they try to play it on Thanksgiving and all that. But, you, you know, Barry Lunny Jr. is the interim head coach. He was a really good quarterback for Arkansas. He, he's a hog, so they've got some pride. And they haven't won a home SEC football game, Mike, since 2016. So uh, Lunny, Lunny Jr. was saying earlier today, hey, yeah, we got a lot to play for here. Um, and with Missouri, you know, they've struggled the last half of the season. you got the – the crap that happened to them, um, you know, with the NCAA and stuff, and uh, they may not show up. And if they don't, I think you could see the Hogs come out with a mighty victory. I wasn't buying all the Missouri 8-0 talk at the start of the season, but I must admit I thought they'd be better than this. I really did. Um, there's there's too much talent on that team to where they're fighting for bowl eligibility in, in the final week of the season against Arkansas. I did, did not see that being the case. Should be a lot of fun this weekend. What are you looking forward to? The, well, we didn't even mention. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know we got people in South Carolina oh, yeah. who are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, and I know you are up to speed on that as much as anybody. Okay, let's just get right down to it. Gamecocks have any shot against Clemson? I just, you know, it's going to be awfully difficult. I mean, you know, South Carolina, you know, Brian Edwards, their best player on offense this year, most consistent player, is probably not going to be in the game. Um, you know, they don't have a lot of great players or good depth at receiver. You got a freshman quarterback. You know, this team has not been able to run the ball. You've had horrible play calling. Um, for most of the year, just just something that's not working out, and it's you know it's a typical um, you know, it's typical Will Muschamp team, and and I think that those of us that you know like and respect Will Muschamp because he does a lot right as a coach, you know, hate to see this, but you know it, it is what it is on Saturdays, Mike. I mean, you know, you you look at it and you're like. Well, it's a different situation at South Carolina. He's kept it above water, blah, blah, blah. 
But then you look at this year, it's supposed to be his best team, and you got the same situation. You have massive players out for injury, for due to injury. You have uh, an offense that looks like a, a you know, a, a Keystone Cops deal. You know, your defense and special teams stuff suffer like catastrophic breakdowns at the wrong time. It's a game day issue with him. And, um, Looks like he's going to get a chance to fix it, but I don't. I don't know that it'll come this Saturday uh, against a really good Clemson team that's, you know, going to continue to try to get um, a higher seed in the playoff. I mean, I know those seedings don't matter, but if I'm Clemson, I would rather play Utah in the first round than LSU. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. You know, True. Uh, just just uh, for the you know, just because it you know, I I, I know Utah's not a blue blood, and, and we talked about that earlier. I do think they're deserving and have a great defense, but I'd probably rather play LSU. So, you know, they're going to keep trying to roll it up, and you know, South Carolina is one of the better teams they've played, even at four and seven in the SEC personnel wise. You know, the Gamecocks have better players than a lot of these teams. Clemson steamrolled. So, you know, it's in Columbia. Could be uh, a game where, you know, some things happen. It's it's weird down there sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, especially Clemson's going in with the mindset of blowing them out rather than not playing their best because then you try to throw haymakers and you, you tend to play tight and things like that when things don't go your way. But I just think this is one of those years for the Gamecocks where it's probably going to be best to – Put up the equipment and then see kind of what the future holds. Um, South Carolina administration looks like they're bound and determined to give Will Muschamp a fifth year. He didn't get a fifth year at Florida, so you know we'll see what he can do with it this time. I, I think barring massive changes in not only the offense, but in the way kind of everything is structured in terms of the football aspect of that program, including the you know the, the practicing, the, the the strength and conditioning, all that. You know, I don't. I don't know that. Uh, I think it's going to be very, very difficult. But at, at the same time, you know, that's. You know, the, it, it's not like you know it, it's impossible. I just think it's, it, there's a difficult. There's difficult waters ahead for the Gamecocks. It's uh, it's hard to believe Jake Bentley last year threw for what five and change against Clemson in a loss, but still like lit him up in the in the passing game. Threw for more than. Alabama was able to in the national championship game. And at that point, you thought Jake Bentley was poised to have a great year. Of course, he gets hurt in week one. And uh, I I still believe Carolina wins another game or two if he's healthy. Um, And I'm not the biggest Jake Bentley guy. I I thought he didn't get much better from sophomore year to senior year. However, having to play a true freshman this year that's not surrounded by elite talent – I think is a lot to ask of Ryan Holinsky. Um All that being said, it, it's hard to, to not to talk about this game and not talk about the coaching situation. I think Will's Muschamp deserves a fifth year. I don't think firing him at this point and going and getting what what probably would be the, about the fifth choice for the fans on the on the coaching market uh, is going to solve a whole lot for Carolina football right now. I think there is a an, an issue of the talent needs to be upgraded. And I look at recruiting rankings, which is which is your baby more than mine, and I see that they're getting it done in recruiting, um, and they've got a couple of studs here and there, but I see a lot of holes. I mean, I just don't see a team that is in the upper half talent-wise of the SEC, and that's got to be addressed quickly. I, as you mentioned from a coordinator standpoint, I, Will has had a problem – getting great offensive coordinators and he needs one he is a defensive coach that needs an elite offensive coordinator and i don't know who's out there and what but um that's something that i would think is going to be looked at 
and I'll be very curious to see what they do next year. They had a brutal schedule this year. I know fans don't want to hear excuses on that. That's fine. But honestly, this this team, I know for some people it's like, well, if we got to bowl eligibility, that'd be something. I don't think this team needs a bowl game. I think this program needs a time to just get away, focus on recruiting, focus on next year, and not just play another crappy bowl game against a, another mediocre team and see what happens. Um, this this might be time to hit the reset button, not from a coaching change standpoint, but just and getting ready for what is going to be a huge 2020 for that coaching staff. Yeah, I, 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 I'm going to agree to disagree with you here. I, I don't. I think that you either got to get rid of him now, or you have to give him two more years because um, I think that anytime you restructure a coaching staff like he is going to do. Um, it's it's kind of unfair to say, okay, win eight next year or you're out. Uh, I'm not saying he could have another losing season and then he's out. I, I think that if Carolina can get back to a bowl next season, things are heading in the right direction, uh, then that's positive. You remember Steve Spurrier, and, and I, I don't think I, – I think four and seven this year with this football team – Jake Bentley or no is absolutely inexcusable because of the way it's gone down, because of the, the the brutal play calling, the fact they have two run plays in their playbooks inexcusable, the fact that high school coaches can sit in the stands and dissect their offense and wonder aloud why they don't run a sluggo, uh, which is a, a play that all of us know that are people aren't even coaches. The slant and go when it's why you know the, the, all that and, and what happened was last year they had RPOs. Jake Bentley was good at getting them into the right play. Well, now you got a freshman. And you don't have anybody on the sidelines that has can go to a plan B, and, and that's coaching. You know that, that's period. And, and right, they don't have top of the SEC talent, but they have six, seven win talent. And that was one of the good things about Spurrier. Spurrier kind of kept it above water. And before this year, quite frankly, Will Muschamp. So here's the thing, you know, you know, with Steve Spurrier and your. Five or after you after his year four, he revamped his coaching staff. He hired six new coaches and a new strength coach. The next year they were improved. They were still seven and six. They beat Clemson. They beat Ole Miss, which was ranked third at the time. Played Florida tough. Uh, and then the next year, Marcus Lattimore comes in and they win the SEC East. I think that you have to give him two more years, uh, Mike. If you're gonna if you're gonna commit to the stick with Muschamp but gut the staff. And go in a new direction, you know, provided he can get back to the minimum standards for this program, which are six wins right now. Okay, I wouldn't disagree with that. I yeah. I think if if they if they go five and seven next year, I don't think there's any chance he keeps his job. Oh no, no question. It, you you have it, to get to at least six, but you can't sit there and tell him to win eight next year. In my opinion. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, again, I agree. I, I, look, I don't know when the next time South Carolina is going to be an eight-win program is. If Georgia continues to be Georgia, if Florida under Dan Mullen is back to solid ground, and if Tennessee makes marked improvement with Jeremy Pruitt, and Kentucky keeps Mark Stoops, who gets the most out of his, mm-hmm. like, I, this is not. I, I keep repeating myself on this, and nobody uh, necessarily in Gamecock country wants to hear this. I will say a lot of good things about that program. And you and I covered it for a number of years. There's got so much going for it by the same token. Number one, Steve Spurrier is never walking through that door that uh, the stars were aligned that a hall of fame coach and one of the best offensive minds in the history of the sport happened to fail in the NFL and want to get back in the sec. And that was the place to do it. 
and Steve was such a competitive guy, and he knows every number known to mankind. He knew he could walk into Columbia and become the all-time winningest coach in school history and have that on his resume, along with the all-time winningest coach in Florida history, along with the only person that's going to take Duke to an ACC championship, right? I mean, that's Steve, Steve wanted that job. Mike McGee, with all due respect, the late Mike McGee was the AD at the time. Steve Spurrier didn't take that job because Mike McGee was the AD. He took that job because he wanted South Carolina. True. AD, you know that goes back to what we talked about the other day. I mean, I just I just think AD sometimes get a little too much credit for making hires, and we just assume that they're these brilliant uh, salespeople. Coaches know what the good jobs are, and they know what the jobs that they want are, and they're going to take them or not take them very often in spite of who the, the glorified fundraiser, which is what many ADs are now, uh, is in place. I, the, the, Steve Spurrier's not walking through that door. That's a, that's a once-in-a-just-100-year type of situation that's happened to fall there. And number two, even when Steve was there, they struggled for four years, and when they finally started winning 11 games, you had a situation where the East was dreadful, absolutely dreadful, and they were good at winning close, ugly games, predominantly on defense, where they happened to, and this goes to your recruiting knowledge, there happened to be this time frame in the state of South Carolina where all these NFL caliber, Javion Clowney, Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Holman, et cetera, et cetera, all in that state and all wound up going to South Carolina. So a lot of things had to be aligned for that to happen to get to three consecutive 11-win seasons. That is not the norm. It, it, I, I mean, I don't know if that's going to be the norm again. I think South Carolina could be a really solid and good program that competes and at some point could very well be in the mix for the Eastern Division crown. But I, I, to get to, the, to all those things to happen again like that, if Will Muschamp does not work out and somebody else comes back, somebody goes back into that chair, it's you're going to see some of the same challenges and same issues that you've seen over the last four years at South Carolina, in my opinion. Uh, it's, it's very similar to some of the other programs we've been talking about where just bringing in a new coach is not going to, to fix all the things that need to be fixed and is not going to change the overall trajectory of a program for what it's been over the last hundred years. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I just I think that when you look at it, this is going to be the second worst season since the turn of the century uh, at South Carolina it's year four not year one mm-hmm. right um, and, and I, I just I just I, you know it's a look, bad year there's no other way to look, look at look, it. Look, I'm telling you know I, I think that you know hey you, you lose to you know you, you lose to, to Texas A&M on the road that's you know fine I mean you know mm-hmm. that's tough you know, Florida at home even was was competitive and you blew it again but hey look Florida's got a good football team you tip your hat and go there you know, but in a year where you're good enough, uh, albeit Georgia did not play well to go beat Georgia, but you lose to North Carolina and Appalachian State. I right. mean, that's just that that's the kind of stuff that for Gamecock fans, which you know everybody's a patient bunch down there, uh, is really, really <laughs> tough. I mean, this is a seven to eight win program on average since two thousand. Okay. They average about seven point five wins, which is better than the historical norm. Um you know, and, and, and the 11 win years were the 11 win years. I've, I still maintain a lot of those teams underachieved because they were the best team in the East, yet they never won the East. Right. Um, but once. But I, I think that, you know, what you got to do if you're South Carolina, you got to, and what this does, Mike, is it puts you back. You know, it sets you back a little bit. There's uncertainty, et cetera, et cetera. But, 
you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that it's one of those things where not very many coaches, unless you're coaching at Vanderbilt, which Derek Mason is going to be back for year seven, baby. Um, not many coaches survive a disastrous year in year four in the SEC. So, you know, we'll see kind of uh, – sometimes you stick with a guy and you, it pays off. So we'll see kind of what yeah, happens. We'll see. It'll be interesting. And the game itself might not – I don't know if that game is going to be interesting or not. Maybe South Carolina can make a game of it at home. As you mentioned, <laughs> that's actually one of the more, more talented teams that Clemson has faced in a dreadful year for the ACC. Uh, by the way, we didn't mention Virginia, Virginia Tech. You want to give a quick one on that? Absolutely. That's for the uh, ACC Coastal in Charlottesville. Uh-huh. 15 in a row for the Hokies against the Hoos. And this one's for all the marbles. You know, Virginia Tech's been playing very good football uh, uh, since they lost to Duke at home by 35 points earlier this year. Uh, they've turned it around. Uh, we mentioned Fuente in the Arkansas job earlier. I, I – uh, yeah, it's hard to go against Virginia Tech in this rivalry series, but something tells me, you know, Virginia's probably going to win it. Uh, just kind of the law of averages at this point. And if that happens, Mike, for seven years in a row, seven different teams have won the ACC Coastal. They've run the gamut. Every team in that stinky division has now gone to the ACC Championship game. If the Who's win, it's gone like Dukes won it, Pitts won it. Miami won at one. I mean, and if you're Miami, you have to just be sick. But uh, FIU, baby. Oh, God, what a fraud that team has ended up being this year. I mean, I I just, you know, and and how bad is Willie Taggart that they lost to that team by 17 points at home? Um, (laughs) You know, and it's just some of these defensive coaches don't understand offense, and I I think Manny Diaz is one of them. But we'll see kind of what happens. um, You know what's funny about that? Everybody down in Miami thought that was a slam dunk hire. Everybody, you can't find a soul that told you that Manny Diaz was not the perfect guy for the job. Not one. And maybe it turns out I'm not, I'm not going to bury him yet, but holy cow. I can't tell you how embarrassing that loss is. Yes. They, it's eight. FIU didn't even have football 20 years ago. It is a commuter school. In Miami, I think it's like eight miles away from the campus in Coral Gables. They wouldn't even call them the University of Miami. They said the guys from the boys from Coral Gables is what they called them all week long. So they basically disrespected Miami <laughs> and they beat Miami and then they bragged about it and took pictures about it and, and have still been talking about it ever since. And the guy that was the head coach for FIU used to be the coach for Miami and Butch Davis. And I mean, it's just all oh, kind that very quietly. That is one of the most humiliating losses of the year. Even though Miami's not good anyway, for them to lose to FIU is beyond embarrassing. They've lost to FIU and Georgia Tech. Okay, that, that's not good coaching. I mean, they, I think they beat a, another MAC team by like nine or something too. That, that, yeah. That's just and look. I know. I know what kind of, when Manny Diaz got the job. I know some folks he was talking to to come run his offense who were really good and. He passed passed them over because they wanted a name, so they went out and got Danny Enos, who 
cowardly left Alabama to go to Miami, who is, is, is a good offensive coordinator, Mike, but it's the same old, same old. Miami needs to let go of the past. They run, they run a pro-style system. You're not going to find a quarterback to do that in your recruiting footprint right now. You're not going all over the country like you used to and getting the Steve Walshes of the world and the Ken Dorseys of the world to come down there. You're just not going to do it. You've got speed, speed, speed. You're in a crappy division. There's no reason why you just can't out-athlete everybody, and none of the coaches they hire seem to want to do it because they all go with these defensive guys that, that don't they, – they, you know, they think punting is offense, you know, and you're like, ah, it drives me crazy. So it, I, It's been insane I, how I, Miami can reach that level. I just I – can't, I can't believe, you know, losing – I would have bet two paychecks – that for that Miami would not have lost to both Georgia Tech and FIU this year. I, it's, it's unbelievable to me. Uh, I would have I would have bet five that didn't lose to FIU because FIU is not even good in Conference USA. Uh, I know. That's, yeah, it's not even, it's not FAU. It's not Lane Kiffin. You know? Right. Yeah, we should we should point that out. FIU is Florida International, not Florida Atlantic, not the team that Lane has has had some success with. It's it's FIU. T. Y. Hilton went there. It's about all you can say about FIU. All right, real quick. I know we're over time, but we're only doing one this week anyway. So let me just throw this one little tidbit at you. I, I like to give you some Vegas odds from time to time on potential matchups. Clemson, Ohio State, if they meet, this is according to betonline.com. Clemson, one-point favorite. How about Ohio State, LSU? Ohio State, three-and-a-half-point favorite. How about Clemson, LSU? Clemson, four-and-a-half-point favorite. That's a little surprising to me. LSU, Georgia, LSU, three-point favorite. Ohio State, Georgia, Ohio State, seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Ohio State, Alabama, Ohio State, three-and-a-half-point favorite. Clemson, Alabama, Clemson, four-and-a-half-point favorite. Clemson, Georgia, Clemson, eight-point favorite. And Alabama, Georgia, Alabama, three-and-a-half-point favorite. Hmm. Really interesting there. I, I know why they like Clemson. Look, Clemson has not played anybody, but Clemson's a good football team. And I, I think that them not playing anybody this year has helped them play a lot of players, a lot of young guys who have gotten better as the season's gone on. This is one of the things Dabo Sweeney's really good at. Even more so, even when they're in close games, Mike, he'll, he'll substitute more than some of his hard-headed coaching brethren. Um, and, and he keeps his teams healthy. I mean, they're perfectly healthy going into the Carolina game and the ACC and into the playoff, and they were last year too. And so I think that, uh, you know, I agree with Vegas that they like Clemson. They're the defending champions. We just hadn't heard a whole lot about them this year because, you know, they hadn't played in a lot of big games. So, um, you know, we'll see kind of how that goes. I'm so, I would, I don't know that them being a one point favorite on a neutral field over Ohio State is, is something that I would do if I were setting odds. And mm-hmm. four, four and a half seems awfully big for LSU. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I think a lot of times teams that don't play anybody, when they get that chance to go out and make a statement, they end up being a lot better than, than people think, kind of like last year. And uh, and Clemson's shown that over and over again. I do know one thing, just going over all those matchups, it, it, it's salivating to me because I think in some ways the regular season has not been great for college football. This has not been one of the more memorable ones. But we should have one hell of a playoff. I don't think we're going to be disappointed by the Final Four. Uh, before you know it, we'll be there. Well, we got lots more to talk about next week with conference championship games uh, on the mend as well. And for uh, 
For those who don't know JC, again, all the different venues, tell your family, tell your friends where you can pick us up. Yep, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, 24-7 Sports, Megaphone, Stitcher, just about anywhere you find podcasts, you can find JC and Morgan even more so now uh, that we're on the 24-7 Sports podcasting platform. Love it. Love uh, all you folks that take the time to listen. We appreciate that as always, and I hope that you have a tremendous Thanksgiving holiday. For J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long. We'll talk to you next week.